last count that I uh, heard this week, there were 17 lives that were ended at the school down in South Florida. I thought about that this week, and I thought, what was the last thing that husband who was killed said to his wife? What was the last thing that a son or a daughter said to their mother or their father? Or their sister or their brother, it may have been, who knows. I think last words need to be thought of carefully, and since we don't know what day that may be for us, maybe the wisdom is that all words need to be thought out well during our day. Do you agree with that? Uh, We need to think through the things that we say. I remember my mother's final words to me on August 15th, uh, 2015. She said, I love you, I love you, I love you. So those are words that I just remember. Um, and I got to thinking about what would my last words, if I knew that my death was inevitable, what would my last words be to my family as I had them gathered around? Well, I wrote them down this week. I thought, well... Since I'm going to be talking about that to start, I thought, well, I'll just write them down. So I wrote down three phrases. Uh, It's not a long speech. Those kids will probably be thankful for that. It's a short one. But it would be this simply said, grow in Christ, share the gospel, defend the faith. Well, you know, I don't know what you think about that, but... I thought as I wrote it, I thought, well, you know, that's, those are really three important and critical things for all of us. Grow in Christ, share the gospel, defend the faith. Now, the first two are probably uh, sound easier to the ear than the last one, defend the faith. Um, who's called to defend the faith? All believers are called to defend the faith. And so as we're going through Second Peter, we've come to that second chapter, and it's not one of those top ten chapters that you would necessarily say, hey, I want to read Second Peter 2. But it's a wonderful chapter, a wonderful chapter of warning that Peter gives to his audience, and he knows his death is imminent, and he writes these words. It's, it's a chapter of warning, and that's what we've seen together as we've gone through because every one of us as believers are called to be discerning we need to discern we need to be able to tell truth from error um, i'm going to start out with a quote I've got to get my little clicker i'm sorry um a.w tozer i don't know if you guys know he was a pastor preacher uh He also uh, was a magazine editor. Um, He lived, as you can see, from 1897 to 1963. It's amazing when you go back and look at some of the older quotes, you're like, how relevant will they be? Uh Uh-oh. How relevant will they be? And as you look, you begin to think, well, you know what? Um, Really, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? Deception has been around since the Garden of Eden. And so Tozer writes this about discernment. He says, the great deficiency in the church is the lack of spiritual discernment. And so since we all agree, because I just heard you a minute ago, we've all been called to be discerning. And he writes that the lack of discernment is especially among our leaders. So that's quite interesting. 
um, when I read that last phrase. And I wrote down a couple of notes. Maybe leaders aren't discerning because they haven't been truly discipled. You think, well, oh yeah, but they're a leader. Well, just because a person's a leader doesn't necessarily mean they've been discipled. There may be an assumption to discipleship. How many of you have been discipled in the Word of God? How many of you could defend uh, Christology, right? The doctrine of Christ. How many of you could defend ecclesiology, the study of the church? I mean, so you, when you begin to break it down, you're like, well, how much do I really know about God's Word? Uh, it could be that uh, it just wasn't emphasized. You know, there's not all churches emphasize discernment. Um, but we've been called as believers in Christ to be discerning. And as we've gone through this chapter, chapter 2, this is what we've seen to this point. That the presence of false teachers is certain, it's sure. In fact, notice the language that Peter uses at the end of the verse. Just as there will be what? False teachers where? Among you. That's, that's a tough one, right? They're among you. They, they might be sitting in this building today. Um, false teachers, Peter says, secondly, their entrance is subtle. I mean, they don't walk in with a t-shirt on that says, by the way, I'm a false teacher. You know, they don't, that doesn't happen. Um, they're among you. You don't necessarily even recognize them. Um, they might have the vocabulary that we have, but they might not have the dictionary that we have, right? It, it, it's different. Um, just because someone today, even in our culture, says, I'm a Christian, does that mean they're saved? No, you need to investigate that, right? We investigate that. Well, Peter says, they secretly introduce. They bring in next to what? To truth. And then he says, destructive heresies. And this is where we're going today. We're going to spend time today talking about destructive heresies. The evidence that that was true, even as Peter wrote here to these believers. So this morning, our attention is going to be their teaching destroys. Their teaching destroys. And we get that from verses 1 through 3. Notice Peter writes, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce, and there's that phrase, destructive heresies. And then Peter has even, it's almost like, you know, wow, even denying the master who bought them. And that phrase alone deserves one Sunday by itself, and that will be next Sunday. There's a lot just in that little phrase. Even denying the master who bought them. Notice, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. All right, so we need to understand those two words there. Destructive heresies. The word uh, destructive means to destroy. But it also has this idea of moving away from or being separate from. To the point of destroying. Uh, well, what were these false teachers moving away from? Truth. What were they separating themselves from? Truth. And so, the word destructive there 
has the idea of destroying. The word heresies, if you do a word study on that, it's pretty interesting. Do you know that word heresy starts out and it just, uh, when it, the definition uh, means to choose. Well, that seems pretty in, in, uh, innocent, doesn't it? Um, there's really no negative connotation to the original definition, but they begin to add to it. And so it went from to choose to to choose to follow. To choose to follow with a school of thinking in mind or a philosophy in mind. So it went from choose to choose to follow to choosing a particular party or sect, right? So the definition just kind of kept building. Um, When we think about destructive heresies, we need to have in our mind man-made thoughts or philosophies. So when you think about the scriptures, well, you just might think about the Pharisees and the scribes because the, the, of, the, of the man-made teaching. Look at Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 9 say this. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. Now look at this. These people honor, that should say, not honors. This people honors, yeah, it should say honors. Honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And people say today, I'm not a Pharisee. Well, I would say they're probably Pharisees even in the church today. But in vain, he says, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines. Now, what's the next phrase? The precepts of who? Of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you're experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. So the idea here of man-centered teaching comes from, a good example of that would come from the Pharisees. Um, But you know, there's man-centered teaching in our churches today. (laughs) A lot of it. And you know what the, the, the attraction is for the people is listening to things that sound good to the ear, right? It, it's that whole thing tickling the ears in order that my audience might return, in order that my audience might put money in the plate, right? Um, it's interesting the way that Peter describes the destruction, how, how these false teachers destroy. And I want to take you through three examples here in these verses. The destruction described. First of all, notice that substantial numbers will indulge in sexual immorality. Uh, Look at verse 2. All right, look at the first part of that. And many will follow their sensuality. Uh, The word there means sexual indulgence. The idea of the word also, and this is even a stronger phrase, uninhibited sexual sin. And there's also a thought there, too, about this uninhibited sexual sin, that these guys are not concerned about what others think. Boy, that describes a culture today, doesn't it? Don't care about, listen, it's about what God says, not about what man thinks. Um, I thought it was interesting that some of this comes out as you think about the subject of pornography. You know, how deep 
deeply entrenched is our country as it relates to sexual sin. Not to mention the church. I'm taking this class in my grad classes, and um, in one of the classes we, we have a book we have to read um, called Pure Desire. And in the class that I'm taking, um, the professor has some different statistics that I thought were interesting in terms of pornographic uh, porn, por- por- pornography. He, um, he told us this, that 12.5% of internet sites are pornographic. 12.5%. That's a pretty good percentage. Um, parents, I would say you need to pay attention here. Um, and I'm not um, getting on you. I'm just saying we need to pay attention because our children, right, are susceptible to these things as you're going to hear in just a minute. Um, U.S. U.S. pornography, um, we are the leader of pornography worldwide. The U.S. is the leader in pornography worldwide. Um, there are 245 million websites, pornographic websites. Um, the average age to first, to first exposure of pornography, what do you think? <laughs> That's sad, but uh, somebody said six. A little higher. Eleven. Eleven years old. The largest age group viewing pornography is 12 to 17. Something by the time they're 17 years old, there's not much left to the imagination, is there? Um, these false teachers indulged in sexual immorality. As far as money, I thought this was interesting that $15 billion, billion dollars a year is spent on pornography in the United States. And worldwide, it's $100 billion. Now, is that just limited to the culture? Or has pornography come into the church? Well, I believe pornography is in the church. Because people are in the church. Guess what? We sin. People sin. We have this flesh that we want to satisfy. And one of the, listen, one of the, one of the greatest... One of the greatest, I think, um, responsibilities that parents have is to protect their children's eyes. But do you know where that begins? With protecting your eyes, right? Um, so Peter describes these guys. He says in verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality. That's not real encouraging. Many, substantial numbers will. Well, the Bible talks about sexual immorality. It says, for this is the will of God, Paul wrote in Thessalonians, your sanctification, that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality, sexual sin, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel. I think that's a very important phrase. That's individual. You know how to possess your own vessel. Thad Blunt's responsible for Thad Blunt, right? You're responsible for yourself. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. And notice this stark contrast that he's painting here. Like the Gentiles who do what? Who do not know God. 
So the Gentiles don't know God. They are going to what? Satisfy the flesh. That was the message of these false teachers. Listen, one of the greatest temptations we have as believers is to satisfy the flesh. There's a war going on between the flesh and the spirit. Galatians tells us that. I want you to go with me. Um, this is not my notes, but go with me in 1 Corinthians. I want you to go to chapter 7. I think it's a very, very, very critical chapter in terms of marriage. People say, I want to keep my marriage pure. I want to stay away from sexual sin. How do you stay away from sexual sin as a married couple? Well, the Bible tells us. Notice chapter 7, verse 1. Paul writes, now concerning the things, he's just told them back up in verse 18 of chapter 6, flee immorality, run from it. He tells them they've been bought with a price, you're not your own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, now concerning the things which you wrote about, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Why? Immorality. But because of immoralities, he says, let each man have his what? Own wife. Because of what? What does it say? Because of immoralities. Because of sexual sin. Let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Verse 3, here it is. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. In other words, Paul is saying that a husband and wife should come together sexually. And all God's people said, Amen. That's what the Bible says. Right? We want to avoid sexual sin. Somehow, this is like a taboo subject when it comes to talking about it in the church. Right? Well, we don't need to talk about sex because that's just uncomfortable. Well, it's in the Bible. We have to talk about it. Right? The Bible addresses this issue of sexual sin. It addresses the issue of what this is to look like in the context, and young people listen to me, in the context of marriage. Okay? He says, the wife, verse 4, does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. Notice verse 5. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time. This is interesting. So there was deprivation going on. Because the city of Corinth was one sexual place. I mean, had idolatry, prostitution, right? And so obviously when there's prostitution and idolatry there's going to be avoidance, right? That's what happens. Whenever a person's engaged in sexual sin with another person, when they come home to their wife, they're not interested anymore. Their needs are being met somewhere else. And Paul's pretty strong here. He says, stop. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement. Now, this is pretty interesting, right? There's only 
I'm going to paint the picture for you in just a second. He says, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Practically speaking, this is what he's saying. Have relationships with your husband or wife. If you agree for a time, start praying. Otherwise, go back to having sexual relationships with your husband or wife. That's what he's saying. Why? Because of sexual sin. Because of the presence of immorality. And we don't have to go back to that day and time where Paul was living. We have it all over the place now. It's on television. You can't help it. It's all over the place. Aren't we waiting for the day when full nudity will be not just on Showtime and HBO and all those things, but just regular TV? You say, oh, that'll never happen. Well, man, listen, I grew up in the 1970s. And, you know, USA was the channel that was kind of a little provocative back in those days. You remember when that channel came out? There was a little bit of flesh shown. Now it's like all the time. So the encouragement from the Apostle Paul is don't deprive one another because of sexual immorality. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, abstain from sexual immorality. So these false teachers, the Bible say, says, was ha- were having great influence. And many were following them because of sexuality, sexual sin. Um, that's a big deal. So, so their destruction is described in the form of sexual immorality or sexual indulgence. And then we see that their destruction is described as their godless behavior will bring slander. Notice uh, verse 2. And because of them, because of who? Because of the ones following. Because of the ones following the false teachers. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Because of them. Because of those who are responding to these false teachers. And the Bible tells us there's going to be many of them, according to Peter. Because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. This is an interesting phrase. You see the 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 in front of way? Um, that's there in the original language for emphasis. In other words, there's only one way. It's the way, right? Go back with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, real quick. Acts chapter 9. We have an example of this. The way is discussed uh, several times in the book of Acts. Several times in the book of Acts. It was a common name for the Christian faith. And you remember a guy named Saul? We've already referenced Paul a couple times here this morning. Well, that's what we're talking about here in Acts chapter 9. It says, it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to who? What does it say? The way. What does it say? The way. Say it louder. What does it say? The way. Jesus said, I am what? The way. There are no other ways. It's the way. And so Saul was very zealous to destroy those belonging to the way. 
He was present at the stoning of Stephen. He was zealous to do away with those belonging to the way. And we know that because at the end of verse 2, it says that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He wanted to do away with those belonging to the way. And Peter says here, and because of them, because of the influence of them and those following, the way of the truth will be maligned. That word maligned in the original language is the word blaspheme. Blaspheme. And because of them, the way of the truth, so you can read it this way. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. It will be dishonored. It will be insulted. In our terminology today, we might say it would be made fun of. We might say a bunch of hypocrites. There's a story of a pastor, a friend of mine, and um, he had a youth group, and his youth group was pretty substantial, probably 60 to 70 kids. There was one particular kid that um, he just really hit it off with, and this kid was coming to youth group when he was in ninth grade and when he was in 10th grade and he stopped coming when he was in 11th grade. Just cold turkey, stopped coming. And so the youth pastor went to see him. And this kid um, had his room decorated before uh, he changed and it was just like any other high school kid. I can't remember what he told me, but... Let's just pick a sport. It had baseball stuff all over the wall. And um, he went to his house to see him. And instead of baseball stuff being all over the wall, when he walked into the room, it was completely dark. And there was just this darkness in the room. And so they had a conversation. He goes for a few weeks. He goes back to see him. Still, the kid's not coming. And so they take a walk. He says, that we were taking a walk down through town. And he said, I looked at him and I said, hey. Why aren't you coming to church? Why aren't you coming to youth group? You know what his answer was? The church is full of hypocrites. He said, I see these guys that are deacons in the church. And they go to church on Sunday and they're deacons and they're leading. But Monday through Saturday, they're out there and they're in bars. And they're carousing with women. And he said, I don't want to be a part of that. And you know what I took from the story? There's a lot of things you could take from it. But the one thing I took from the story is it matters how we behave. It matters. Because I promise you, people are watching. They're watching our lives. And so what Peter is saying is that these guys have had such a wide influence that many were following. And because of them, the way of the truth, he says, will be maligned. It'll be blasphemed. It'll be dishonored. Go back with me a page in your Bibles, or page or two, to 1 Peter, because he writes about the importance of our behavior. He tells them that they need to keep their behavior excellent, is the word he uses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from lust, fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, 
So that in the thing which they what? Slander, there it is, slander you as evildoers. They may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of salvation. So we need to be careful, Peter says to these guys. We need to be careful in how we live. Our behavior is to be excellent among the Gentiles. Now think about that and you could do this study this afternoon after you take your nap. But if you walk through um, Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, he tells believers how they should be walking in light of who they are. Because the first three chapters of Ephesians are about who we are in Christ. The last three chapters in Ephesians are about this is how we walk since we belong to Christ. And the issue of fleshly lust and sin and immorality is dealt with in those chapters. Our behavior matters. We don't want the name of the Lord blasphemed. Um, in Romans chapter 2, we have an example of this. Paul writes this, You boast in the law through your breaking, through your breaking of the law. Do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Wow, that's pretty strong. Question for you. You can respond. Ready? What do you believe the world, just in your observation, what does the world think of the church today? Throw it out there. What are some thoughts? Huh? Irrelevant. Somebody said something up here. Hypocrites. Self-righteous. Huh? It's a business. Judgmental. I'm sorry? Divided. Ignorant. Ignorant, yeah. That's true. Ignorant. That's why Tozer, you were looking at Tozer's quote, weren't you? We need to, listen, we need to be educated and discipled in the Word of God. And you say, well, Thad, I'm 50 years old. It's too late for me. It's never too late. Um, the culture is looking at the church today. I don't remember who said this, but irrelevant is the case. And what's the point? Hey, guys, and we don't say this in a haughty manner. We know this to be true from the scriptures. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And we believe that we have a relationship, hopefully, right, with him. And one day we're going to be in the presence of the Lord forever. We believe that because the Bible teaches that. And so we want that message to be heard. And in love, we go to these people and we say, hey, listen, do you know Christ? It's the greatest relationship. Because salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ plus nothing else. You don't have to do anything. It's already been done for you. Um, but you look at the culture today and the church today and I don't know that I wouldn't say there's just not a whole lot of division. You know, it's kind of, the lines are kind of blurred and especially as it relates to sexual sin. So, because of the influence of these false teachers, it says the way of the truth was maligned, right? It was being, it was being made fun of, it was being um, dishonored. And so we come to the third point. How else were they influencing the, where the, uh, there was destruction? Thirdly, Peter says this, their words are skillfully fabricated. 
So, so not only do we have the issue of many following, substantial numbers following because of sexual sin, not only is the godless behavior bringing slander, but thirdly, their words are skillfully fabricated for personal gain. And that all comes from this uh, verse 3, part 1 in Second Peter 2. Look at this. And in their greed, that word greed there, it means a desire for more and more and more. Uh, the picture here is of materialism. I heard um, Deion Sanders several years ago giving a testimony. And part of that testimony was, was about this specific issue. He said, when I got all that money, I just wanted more and more and more. And do you know the testimony of Deion Sanders? He said, and I got to the point where I realized there was nothing else I could purchase. I had everything anybody could ever want, and it didn't satisfy. And that's the lie from hell that things satisfy. Um, And so in their greed, Peter says, in their greed, their desire for more and more and more to the point where materialism is their God. Now, we don't have to look very far down the aisle to see false teachers where we would say, you know, it appears to be that materialism is one of their gods. The desire for more and more. Peter writes, and in their greed, they will exploit you. That word exploit means to take advantage of for the purpose of personal gain. So he says, and in their greed, they will exploit you. And here it is with false words. False words. What did I do with that little? Did I bring that up here? My bottle? Yeah, I need that bottle. Now, I'm not going to twist this bottle. This is a very special bottle. I got this at the Masters Tournament. Any of you familiar with the Masters? I went there to look for brown grass. I didn't find, find one blade of brown grass. By the way, they have a great pimento cheese sandwich for about two bucks if you're interested. But the ticket to get in is very, very costly. But did you know the word false here? We get our word plastic from that. And so the picture is this, and I'm not going to twist this because this is very precious. But um, in fact, I have two of them in my office. I thought about twisting and I thought, no, no, knucklehead, you're not going to twist it because I may never get to go back. But it means this, it literally means to take the bottle and to twist it, right? Well, if it's got water in it or whatever, that's not going to happen. But when it's empty, it's what? You can twist it, right? You can manipulate the bottle. And that's exactly the word here, all right? It says, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And the idea in the Greek, I don't want that to roll away. The idea in the Greek is this. They carefully fabricate their words. Now, when I read that, when I studied, I was like, hey, hold on a second. They're not just fabricating their words, but they're carefully thinking through what they say. Well, can you think of any teachers that you hear that kind of sound like that? Rob Bell. Rob Bell. Let's just call it out. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Rob Bell. He fabricates his words. If you've never seen, um, that just reminded me of something. If you've never seen his interview with Oprah Winfrey, you need to watch it. He carefully chooses his words. Um, Joel Stein does the same thing. 
He carefully chooses his words. Just watch any TV interview with him. He's afraid to offend. Why? Because, listen, he's not going to have 35,000 people sitting in his church the next week. We don't want to be haughty about it, but we want to be honest. And Peter, man, this is his last letter, and so he's like, hey, look, this is what's going to go on. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words, words that are fabricated, carefully choosing their words um, for the purpose of personal gain. Uh, one time I was reading about the, is a magazine article, and I can't recall the whole thing, but I'll just give it to you. You may look it up this afternoon. But it was like the 10 wealthiest preachers. I wasn't on that list. <laughs> and neither were you, George. But it listed the, what they were worth and all the things they had. There's nothing wrong with having things. But how'd you get those things? What'd you do to get them? Um, it's interesting that Titus, in the book of Titus, it's talked about as well. It says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced. That's a pretty strong phrase. <laughs> Because they are upsetting whole families. By the way, just this, this is just a commercial. That's why it's important for you husbands and fathers to be the head of your home spiritually. Because you don't want your family carried away. And if you're not prepared, what could happen? You could be carried away. All right? And so he says... They must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not for the purpose of sordid gain. So would you say that as Peter describes these guys, there's destruction? Absolutely. There's absolute destruction going on. Not only going on in the lives of those who hear, right? But in the lives of those who are watching. And as we're going to see in a few weeks, in the lives of those false teachers, because their ruin, listen, their ruin is not just that they're spreading things that are false, but eventually their ruin will be they are separated forever from God. That'll be their ruin. We're going to see that in a few weeks together. I wanted to give you something to leave with this morning. And I entitled it, I don't think I entitled it, this on your notes, if you have your notes. I don't think it's called a call to action, but that's what I'm going to give you. And I wanted to define a few things before we leave uh, this morning, I just want to give you this, a call to action. And I want to go through here and just define a few words for you because this is for all of us. Paul writes to the Roman believers, he says, Now I urge you, brothers, keep your eye, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. The word hindrances there um, can be translated scandal, who bring scandal or ruin into the church. Now, I urge you, brothers, keep your eye on. That word um, in the Greek means to look closely. It means to look with intensity. We get our words telescope and microscope from this Greek word, all right? Um, it means to look closely, to look with intensity. I was not really good in um, science in school when I was, I mean, science and math, I talked about math a few weeks ago. Science just wasn't, you know, but every once in a while, like in biology, we would break out the microscope. 
Isn't the microscope pretty cool? Because like you can look at that frog, but when we dissected that frog, well, we got to really look at that frog. We could break down that frog. We knew everything there was to know about that frog. Um, that's the idea here. We need to keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary. Notice he says, contrary to the teaching which you learned. So we know that Paul was faithful in teaching. This is very important. Paul was faithful in teaching what? The truth. Second point, we need to be faithful to learn the truth for us. Faithful to learn it. Faithful to learn it. So put yourselves in positions where you can learn about the truth. He says, contrary to the teaching which you learn, and then he says, turn away. And that word turn away is pretty strong. It means have nothing to do with them. Um, I thought of an illustration with this. You know, when your kids are growing up, one of the things, parents, that we're attentive to is their friends. Right? We're attentive to their friends. We pay attention to who they're hanging out with. And there may have been uh, at times when you were raising your kids where you said to them, stay away from these kids. You ever done that? Am I the only parent that's done that? I've had to tell my boys, stay away from them. Or I had to say, as they got older, it's a good idea that you would part company with those guys. Um. So that's exactly what Paul's saying here. Turn away from them. Have nothing to do with them. Notice he says, for such men are slaves. They're in bondage. Who are they in bondage to? He says, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their what? Their own appetites. What they desire. What they want. And hey, listen, we live in that culture. It's whatever you want. Whatever you want, you can have. That's the message. And, and unfortunately, that's the message to young kids that are 11, to young kids that are 15, right? Whatever you want. And we mentioned this a few weeks ago. Listen to me, young people. I want to tell you this. You're all around the room. I want to tell you this. You can't, you can't separate your moral life from your life with the Lord. Or your Christian life or Sunday. In other words, it's not, hey, I show up on Sunday and I'm Christian. But every other day I'm going to live like I want to live. Because it's my life. Uh, Not according to Paul. We've been bought with what? We've been bought with a price. And he said in 1 Corinthians, therefore glorify God with your body. And so he says, for such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And notice this last part. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive. And that word's in the present tense. That means they deceive over and over and over and over and over again. They're committed to deception. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting or the naive. Right? Those people who say, oh, they really didn't mean anything bad about that. (laughs) Right? By the way, if you're an optimist, you're, you're one of those people. Okay, so you have to be careful, right? There's nothing wrong with being an optimist, but not everybody's out there proclaiming the word of God. Not everybody's out there saying there's one way to God, and that's through Christ. And so there's a call to action for these believers. And it's interesting, as you read through Romans, it's like he's shutting it down, and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, here it is. 
I beg you, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and scandal. So what about you? All right. What about our role? What is it? Well, I'm going to close with this quote by Joseph Stoll. And he says this in terms of discernment. He says, discernment in Scripture is the skill that helps us differentiate. It is the ability to see issues clearly. We desperately need to cultivate the spiritual skill that will enable us to know right from wrong. You know, Joseph McDowell uh, wrote a book uh, years ago on right from wrong. He says, it is the ability to see issues clearly. We desperately need to cultivate the spiritual skill that will enable us to know right from wrong. We must be prepared to distinguish light from darkness and truth from error. Well, the rest of our time in Second Peter, we're going to see in chapter 2, there's a lot more to the description. But I thought it would be a good time for us this morning to kind of close our time by praying for two things. And I want you to do that right where you are, as the Spirit would lead you to pray as we close. Um, we need to pray for our own discernment. And we need to pray for those who are out there that are not teaching the truth. You know, last week we put a list up. We need to pray for those people. We need to pray that the Spirit of God would open their eyes to the truth. I don't believe every false teacher is out there trying to be false. There are some that are out there and they're teaching and they just don't know the truth, right? But there are some that are, that are deceiving intentionally. But they all need prayer. But it starts with us. And so I want us to, to close, and this is how we're going to close the service. I want us to just bow our heads and I'll give you a couple of minutes to pray. You pray for those um, that come to your mind that need prayer in that area. And then pray also as, just for ourselves that we will be found um, faithful to the gospel of Christ and be discerning ourselves. So let's pray together. Lord, when we come to a time like this, uh, I was thinking, um, you know, all through the week we have people that we pray for that are physically sick. And, um, and rightly so. We need to come to you with those things. Um, Lord, there's a spiritual sickness out in our world today. There are those who just deny you. They deny who you are. They deny what you've done. Um, they deny that you're coming again. Their denial is vast. And then we have some, Lord, who deny certain things about you, certain things that are important to us, we believe, here at Grace. Lord, we stand on the truth that, that Jesus Christ is the only way. We stand on the truth that Lord, we can't lose our salvation. The Bible tells us that we've been sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. Um, we believe that. Lord, we believe in the deity of Christ, in the humanity of Christ. We believe in the infallibility of your word, in the errancy of your word. Um, we, we just believe. We sing a song like that. We believe, and we believe. Lord, help us in our, our weakness. 
Help us to be um, discerning, to listen well, and, and to respond well. And I pray that our response is around your word, that it would be centered on what you have said. And then, Lord, we want to pray for those out there who are teaching every week. And, Lord, our prayer, at least my prayer, is this, that, that Lord, if they're not teaching the truth, and they're doing it intentionally that your spirit would convict them of their sin. And that, in it, Lord, there may be some that are out there um, who believe in what they're doing, and they believe they're representing you right, but, but they may not know some things. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would help them in their understanding of you, and, and Lord, that, that they would just have a hunger and a desire to be in your word. Lord, I just want to close out with um, this scripture um, from Paul to Timothy. Paul told Timothy, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. Lord, the first of that, he says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. So as was mentioned earlier, Lord, we don't want to be people that are seen as haughty and self-righteous. We want to be people that are seen as, as loving people who stand on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. And so I pray for all of us, uh, Lord, that we would do that if we belong to you. And Lord, there may be a few in here today who don't belong to you. And I pray that they would come to know uh, Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that could even be today. And so, Lord, I pray that we would walk with you today, that we would walk with you this week, that we would have our antennas up because there are those who are out there who are not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I pray that we've honored you today and what we've done. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as parents and grandparents to pass on the gospel of Jesus Christ to our children, that they might stand firm on your word. And we pray all this in the precious name of Christ, who is Lord and Savior. Amen.